Although there is a way that seems right to a man, Pastor Xavier Reese says God's word is sufficient. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo sophia, the love of wisdom, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Are you blending the world's views and philosophies with the word of God? You're watering it down. We live in the world but not of the world, you understand? The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. By teaching the whole counsel of God, the Apostle Paul heeded this simple truth from Proverbs. And in a day where a watered-down gospel is rapidly tickling the ears in our ever-increasingly politically correct climate, it's only the simple truths of God's Word that continue to set us free. And that was the message in part that Paul had to the church at Ephesus upon his bidding them farewell in the book of Acts. And as Pastor Xavier leads us through the conclusion of a study begun last time, he draws out three important truths of Paul's faithful ministry. Acts chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses 25 through 27. And the message is entitled, Paul's Witness Before the Ephesian Elders. Paul the Apostle is meeting with the Ephesian elders as we've seen for one last time in order to impart to them his final instructions for ministry. Let me read and indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul declares to them three absolute truths about himself as their pastor. They're as follows. First, he had the faithful sense they would not see him again in verse 25. This is an incredible witness before these men, for he has lived with them for about three years, established a church, has gone through difficult times with them. Any of these men could refute him at any point in this discourse. They could have called him on and said, you're lying, Paul, you're exactly nothing. And he's confronting them out of his concern for them and love and knowing through the Spirit of God, things that would befall the church in the future, as we'll see. Secondly, verse 26, Paul had been faithful to warn them about sin and judgment. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Notice Paul was holding them as a witness to his faithfulness in his ministry to them that very day, looking back. Therefore I testify to you this day. The word testify means to adduce a witness to bring record or facts forward of what has seen, heard, or received. Paul was declaring to them that he was innocent of the blood of all men. It's kind of a weird phrase for us. We, what's he talking about? I am innocent of the blood of all men. The imagery, as you know, is Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16 to 21 is a section. He also deals with it in chapter 18 and chapter 33, if you remember. But... In verses 16 and 17, Ezekiel was called by God to be the watchman, as you know, the house of Israel. He was like that sentinel to, to warn them about sin and judgment to come. They're going to go into the Babylonian captivity. God never sends judgment before warning the people, always. He warned Adam. He warned Noah. He warned Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And he has warned the world that he's coming to judge the world. Never does God ever bring judgment to a person, to a place, or to a world before warning them for many, many, many years. Ezekiel was responsible to proclaim the warnings to the wicked to turn from their sin. And if he failed to warn them, God would require the blood of those individuals on his head. Very, very clear in Ezekiel 3, 18 and 19. If the unrighteous turn from their wicked ways, God would not judge them. But if they fail to repent what they heard, they would die in their sins. Ezekiel would be innocent because he had warned. It means everyone has a choice, ladies and gentlemen. You're not a robot. Old and New Testament. Ezekiel had to give the righteous the same warning. Or God would require the blood of their hands. In verse 20 and 21 of Ezekiel 3. If the righteous turned from their righteousness and did wickedness. Then they would also. Would be responsible for their own sin. And Ezekiel would be free. But if he failed to warn them. Then God would hold Ezekiel responsible. Paul the apostle is taking this to himself. Now the context of the book of Ezekiel. Is spiritual death. Not Mere physical death. Very important. Physical death is natural as an effect upon the human race. Christian or non-Christian. We're all going to die physically. Except for the last generation. So the context is spiritual death. The word blood refers to the warning against eternal separation from God. Literally. He was clean of the blood of all men. Why? Because he had preached Against sin and judgment to come. The Apostle Paul applies the same principle as valid for the New Testament. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, do you think that applies to us today? You better believe it. Now, judgment to fall upon man is God's. Not man's judgment. This is important. Sin is against God, first of all. David makes this very clear in Psalm 51.4. When he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, he says, against you and only you have I sinned, God. Sin is always first against God. Then it's with people or against people. You understand? The vertical is first, then the horizontal. So one must acknowledge one's sin before God. Then one must confess their sin before God. And then one must abandon their sin before God. That's Godly, biblical repentance. And when you can, if possible, make restitution, it's not always possible and it's not always wise to do so attempt to. You can open a can of worms. So you have to have some discretion, some prudence. God doesn't want you to just say, I'm sorry. He says, sorry about what? We're so easy for cheap grace and just sweep it under the carpet. No, He wants you to voice it. He wants you to articulate. What is it that you're sorry about? That's biblical repentance. Now there are natural consequences to a person and their sin, even if they have asked forgiveness as a Christian. God forgives you. Forgiveness is never the question. But the consequences are natural, right? If a young lady gets pregnant and she repents, God forgives her. But the child does not disappear. 
Now God in his sovereign love and discretion for whatever reason, he sometimes intervenes and overrides some consequences. But that's not the rule. That's his sovereign choice, right? But there are natural consequences, Christian or non-Christian. If a Christian and a non-Christian go to the balcony, they both jump off, they're both going to break their legs. Okay? Natural consequences. And the same with sin. Forgiveness is not the question. But the consequences do remain. So understand that. So when the consequences come back to you, you don't turn the tables on people or God. You've sown, you've reaped. Now you have to draw close to God to draw from His grace and He will be sufficient. You understand? Very important. And so sin can only be removed by the Son, Jesus Christ, that the wrath of God not abide in me as an individual. The invitation is given very simple and clear in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an invitation to the whole world. Every generation, every race, every nation, every people, no one's excluded. The condemnation is just as simple as clear in John 3.36. He who has a son has life. He who has not the son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. That is your choice. Whether you flee the wrath to come or whether you think you can absorb it and deal with it. It's your personal choice. You can't blame God. That time is while you're living. As we'll see as we move on. Not after death. Sin will be punished by eternal separation from God. Ending up in the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. All who ever reject the gospel will be taken from Hades the grave and cast into the lake of fire or Gehenna. Both names are given to it. Hades and death will also be cast there. That will be the second death for those who are cast in the lake of fire. There will be no second opportunity after death. No second opportunity at the white throne judgment. Any teaching that promises you purgatory or annihilation that you cease to exist after death is a religious lie. Your chance to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, to have your life changed, to escape the wrath of God is while you're living, not after you die. If you die in your sin, you're separated from God. And that's the biblical definition of death. Your separation from God for all eternity. We usually see it as the removal of my spirit, separation from my physical body. That's not death, according to the Bible. Eternal death is you being separated for all eternity from God. You continue to exist. And so it's important that we understand that we're walking with God, if we're abiding in Christ. It's a choice, ladies and gentlemen. People today love to be very positive and hear positive things at the expense of denying truth and reality. People declare abortion is a woman's right to choose while denying that a child is being murdered. We have lost our common sense. A savage from the jungle would tell you that's murder. And he has no Ph.D., People say they are dysfunctional, blaming their parents and others for their failure and evil lifestyle, while denying personal responsibility for their moral and ethical decisions. 
Your life is the sum total of every decision you have made. The environment has not made you evil. It has only given you a choice whether you're going to yield to evil or not. And then you made that choice. There are things that people do to people that hinder them, affect them, but it doesn't make them sinners. They have a choice how they're going to respond, right? Ezekiel 18 is very, very clear about that. As a young man lives with a corrupt father, he says if he doesn't follow his father's footsteps, I will not judge him for his father's sins. That means he has a choice, even in the worst of homes. So much for psychological dysfunctionalism. The problem is the heart, Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. We need to own up to that. People today live without any belief or understanding of right and wrong. Let alone acknowledging the word sin. <laughs> Listen to Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's where we're at. When you call good tearing up a child in the womb. And you call that a woman's right. You've lost your mind. You're calling evil good. People today live in an amoral society. When there's morality and immorality, that's a good tension. It's black and white. But when everything becomes gray, that becomes an amoral. There's no morality. The world lives by situational ethics. The world lives by value clarifications. The world lives by relativism. I remember when I first went to Long Beach City College in 1968. All these things were starting to be introduced. Real, oh, so neat. Value clarification. This, uh, but it's all a humanism. It sounds good at first. And then we have now the 40 years of fruit. And it's rotten fruit. It has destroyed our society. Paul the Apostle put it this way in Colossians 2.8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo sophia, the love of wisdom. The empty deceit, according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. How are you living as a Christian? Are you blending the world's views and philosophies with the Word of God? You're watering it down. Are you compromising God's Word? Then you're adding to your hurt. We live in the world, but not of the world. You understand? The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. Paul had been faithful to warn them about sin and judgment. Notice third and last, verse 27. Paul had been faithful to declare to them all of God's word. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul had not avoided to declare the word of God to the Ephesians. He used the word shun, which means to avoid, to withhold, conceal, cower, or to shrink. The same word is used. In verse 20, but it's translated, kept back. Same word. He proclaimed all that was helpful and profitable to them for their lives. He told us that in verse 20. He proclaimed all that was helpful to them, but Paul was sensitive to the individuals as a need arose. He was a pastor. He was with them. He lived among them. He was ready at all times to serve them. To give to them what God was directing. He proclaimed the word publicly. He told us in verse 20 also. In the synagogue in chapter 19. And the school of Tyrannus in chapter 19. 
He proclaimed the word from house to house. He told us in verse 20. The house of those who were Christians and the house of those who were non-believers. People call us sometimes to go anoint people at their houses. They can't come to church. We do that. We go share the gospel. In verse 21, he proclaimed repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Jew and to the Greek, he had no respect or persons. We respect no one here. It's everybody. Whoever comes gets the gospel. We treat you the same. We're a family of God. He testified to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 24 told us, not long, nothing but the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Notice Paul had declared the entire word of God then. And there are so many examples, but one off the top of my head is First Thessalonians. As you know, he was only there for three weeks. And yet, he, um, he shared some of the most deepest doctrines. I mean, that... People say, oh, you shouldn't study that till you're 20 years in the Lord. He talked about the doctrine of predestination and election without any attempt to explain it, define it or anything else. He just said, this is it. In 1 Thessalonians. He told them about the sufferings in the name of Christ and they expect, and they were to expect those things. He talked about the example of the believer and through the preaching of the word of God that he commended them to them. He talked about the rapture and he talked about so many different things. And, and only three weeks. Amazing. Paul will warn, in fact, two groups that would corrupt the full counsel of God. As we move through in verse 29, he'll speak about savage wolves would come in from without, outside, not sparing the flock once Paul the shepherd was gone. And then in verse 30, he'll address the Ephesian elders, some of them, though they have been taught by him for three years, they would draw disciples to themselves from within. So you have attack from without and from within, always for the church. You understand? The most dangerous, listen to me, the most dangerous from within. It's within. And the corruption has come from within the church by shepherds today. Paul had a clear meaning about the statement, the whole counsel of God. The study of every book in the Bible, every chapter, every verse, in their context. Recognition, the scripture interprets scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16. We're not left to our own opinion. Understanding that the Bible is God's word, it's not the word of man. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. This is the word of God. Very, very clear. Daniel Webster, his testimony on his belief in Jesus Christ may be seen and read by anyone who cares to visit Marshfield, Massachusetts. The burial place of this great statesman, he lies buried half a mile back from his house by the side of his wife. Now, Webster dictated his own epitaph the day before his death. It is as follows. Listen carefully. By the way, Daniel Webster is the one in the dictionary. His definitions are biblical. Here it is. Daniel Webster, born January 18, 1782, died October 24, 1852. Philosophical argument, especially that drawn from the vastness in comparison with the apparent insignificance of this globe, speaking about his body, has sometimes shaken my reason for the faith which is in me. But in my heart, has always assured and reasoned me that the gospel of Jesus Christ must be a divine reality. The Sermon on the Mount cannot be mere human production. This belief enters into the very depth of my conscience. If you go to old cemeteries, you find men and women of God, their tombstones are a testimony to anybody who walks through, they might get the gospel. When we buried my dad, I put on this tombstone, 2 Corinthians 5.17. A person in Christ Jesus is a new creature. All things pass away, everything becomes new. 
It's a testimony of who we are. The word of God is all a person needs to be a man and woman of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Listen to it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be a godly man and woman? Then you get in the word of God. Nothing but the word of God. You understand? The Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Second Peter 1, 19-21 tells us that. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Strike that private interpretation. It's a bad translation. This is what it says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private impulse or origin. In other words, it didn't speak of themselves, but the Holy Spirit. And then he defines it after this. Or prophecy never came by the will of man. Now he defines it. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is God's inerrant, infallible word. You say, well, isn't that redundant? No. Because you can be infallible at times, but never inerrant. You can take a test and get 100%. You've been infallible. But if you keep taking tests, sooner or later, you're going to prove you're inerrant. You understand? So both are necessary. Everything in this Bible is infallible and inerrant in terms of life, practice, geography, facts. The Bible is the only word that can convict man of sin. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the vision of the spirit and the soul, of the joints and the marrow, the discernment of the thoughts, the intents of the heart. Only the word of God can let me see who I am and cause me to turn from my sin. You understand? No one else can do that. The gospel of grace is the only thing that can save man from his sins and be accepted by the Father in the person of the Son. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made, the Father made the Son sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In Him, no one else. Today the majority of pulpits are interested in how they can add to their church, how they can make it bigger, how they can attract people. How can they become popular? And they add to their own hurt. Paul had been faithful to declare to them all of God's word. This is the only thing that God has called shepherds to do. To be faithful to dispense God's word to the people. It frees you from me. And it makes my life a lot easier. It's better to teach someone to fish than to just feed them. You learn the word of God. You run your life. And then we as a corporate body are a light and example to the community. And God does His work. And so Paul declared to the Ephesian elders these three absolute truths about himself as their pastor. Paul had the faithful sense they would not see him again. Difficult, hard. Paul had been faithful to warn them about sin and judgment. There's no question about that. And Paul had been faithful to declare all the word of God. He had nothing else to give. I have nothing else to give to you except the word of God as your shepherd. What I have to say doesn't mean anything. It's what the word of God says. That's important. 
all truth is God's truth. Pastor Xavier Reese draws today's simple truth study to a close for today by emphasizing the sufficiency of God's Word. And with just the few moments we have left, we're delighted to let you know copies of today's study, titled Paul's Witness to the Ephesian Elders, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Witness to the Ephesian Elders, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 